Now we hear the scripture from 1 Kings chapter 19. Let us listen for what these words are saying to us today. But Elijah himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank, and then he went in the strength of that food for forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wonder if you have ever been to a wedding dinner like this. The bride looks lovely and elegant, draped in white lace, a tasteful gold necklace around her neck. The groom is dressed in a white and black suit, looking oh so charming and oh so young. Both are a little shy. Food is abundant and many people are eager to eat. Prayers are said. And then the bride and groom step into a food truck, stand behind a counter, pick up a ladle, and start to fill plastic containers of food, passing them over to all the people who reach out their hands. I wonder if you've ever been to a wedding dinner like this where, at the end, 4,000 refugees are fed. Perhaps you recognize this story from the past week about the wedding dinner of a young couple in Turkey, Bethula and Esra, who got married in their hometown of Kilis, which is on the border with Syria. The typical population of this town is 108,000, but recently the floods of refugees from Syria have doubled the population of the town. Turkey, indeed, over the past several years has absorbed over 2,000, uh, 2 million Syrian refugees. The groom's father, Ali, works for a charity called Kimsi Yokmu, which offers many services to these refugees. One day, Ali proposed this idea, that the, couple, the, the money the couple had received for their traditional two-day Muslim wedding celebration be spent instead on feeding the refugees in the town. The couple, as you can imagine, took some time to wrap their head around this change in plans. But the bride, Esther, says, while I was shocked when Fethullah first told me about the idea, afterwards I was won over by it. We thought that on such a happy day, we would share the wedding party with our Syrian brothers and sisters. God willing, this will lead to others doing the same and giving food to our Syrian brothers and sisters. For us, it was a wonderful experience and a most interesting wedding dinner. Food is something that we often shovel into our mouths while we're doing something else. Yet in stories like this, from the news, we remember that food and passing food to one another can be about something so much more. 
food can become an act of sharing, of celebration, of hospitality, as well as simple survival and sustenance. It's not new to say that we in the United States have a twisted relationship with food. We spend less time and money on food than do most people in the world, but this means that we work even harder to cut down our grocery bill or cut back on people's food stamps or cut down the time it takes to prepare a meal. Indeed, I remember a lecture in college about eating disorders, and the lecturer pointed out how often we ascribe moral language to food. We eat things that are sinfully delicious or guilty pleasures, or we feel like we should have something that is good for us. Food is essential to our living, to our moving through our days with energy and focus. Food is so woven into our lives that throughout the scriptures it is used over and over again to teach us about ourselves and about our creator. There are many moments in the scriptures when Jesus and the prophets use language about feasting to signal the glory of the kingdom of heaven. These promises remind us that God provides such abundance that people will one day eat their fill. They will even sit at tables in the presence of enemies. Yet we shouldn't overlook some other moments in scripture, the way promises about food can bring out the pettiness in people. And we can see that in our John text today. Jesus proclaims that he is the bread of life and the authorities who hear him, those that the gospel writer John labels as the Jews, although remember Jesus himself is a Jew, these authorities balk at this. They complain. This echoes a moment during the Exodus when the freed Israelite slaves are wandering in the desert with Moses, complaining about the food they left in Egypt, even though God keeps providing them with manna and quail on more than one occasion. And there are some moments when the disciples complain about food because, let's face it, if you can name it, the disciples probably complained about it. When they are told to feed the 5,000, they complain and worry. Around the table during the Last Supper, the disciples argue about who gets to sit next to Jesus at heaven's banquet. In the early church days, written about in Acts, Peter has a very hard time welcoming Gentiles into the church, in part because they eat that which has been deemed unclean. Food within the scriptures often becomes a place where people misunderstand what God is doing, where they get annoyed at God and each other. There are many reasons for this, but perhaps one of the reasons is that the act of feeding and being fed reminds us how dependent we are on each other. We don't like this. We want to believe that we are confident rulers of our own self-sufficient kingdoms. Yet no matter who we are or what our income level is, when we face mealtime, our stomachs start to growl, our tongues feel heavy in our mouths, our energy evaporates with each gesture. It is in those moments that we are most truly reminded that we are creatures depending in so many ways on others and on the provisions of the land. Indeed, if we aren't farming or hunting ourselves, we need and expect someone else to plant, water, harvest, grind, knead, bake, price, and provide something even as simple as a loaf of bread. And this needs to happen every single day. Anyone with a young infant or even a pet 
quickly realizes how relentless the task of feeding is. We are not self-sufficient gods. We don't like to be reminded how beholden we are to others for our daily provisions. We'd rather ignore that and instead argue about who gets into the banquet of heaven and where we get to sit. Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life, and he is pointing out one of our most basic needs. We need food like bread every single day, and Jesus is reminding us that we cannot produce it all on our own. This brings us to our story from 1 Kings, the story of Elijah under the tree, heart sore, soul weary, and hungry. Elijah has just triumphed stupendously over the priests of Baal. He called down the fire of God, he shamed the priests, and then he went ahead and killed all the priests, which was not a part of God's orders. This act and others enraged the queen Jezebel. She threatened Elijah's life, and so he fled into the wilderness. Now, removed from connections, from his community, from his, his call as a prophet to the king, Elijah sits under a solitary broom tree and asks God to take his life. I wonder if you have ever been at such a point, a moment in your journey of life and faith, when you look back and everything you have done seems as insignificant as a point on the horizon, and when you look forward, all your plans and your dreams seem invisible in a land that is hot and dry and oh so tiring. I wonder if you've ever been at a point where you have felt deep hunger, a hunger beyond physical, a hunger that reveals how empty your entire spirit is, a hunger that gnaws at your heart, mind, and soul, a hunger that makes you feel like you will never ever be filled. I wonder if you've ever felt so weary that even the act of eating, of bringing food to your lips, can seem pointless and tiring. Some commentators point to this story of Elijah as an example of a prophet struggling with burnout and perhaps even depression. This story has been used by some in the Orthodox Jewish community to start a conversation around mental health and the taboo of suicide. They call their organization Elijah's Journey. They point out that the words Elijah says here are similar to the words that Jonah and Moses have said, and they want to make the point that even the prophets despair. So we need to talk about how humans, regular humans, feel these things as well. Indeed, it doesn't seem logical that Elijah would be struggling so right now. He has awed his onlookers, accomplished impressive feats. He could even consider himself a success, even if an exiled one. Still, depression and despair don't often follow logic. And so Elijah finds himself desperate, feeling like he has no purpose, no reasons to keep going. Elijah pleads with God to end his life, he believes he is worthless. In this moment, Elijah needs so much more than food. He needs rest for his weariness. He needs a direction for his future. 
He needs a community. He needs a call. Indeed, he needs to be reminded even to eat. And that is what happens. An angel, or as the Hebrew translates, a messenger of God, comes to him. The messenger reaches out and doesn't just talk to Elijah. The messenger reaches out and physically touches this man on the edge of depression. The messenger doesn't try to argue or reason with Elijah. Instead, this visitor simply says, get up and eat. That is one thing that Elijah can do, and so he does. And the beautiful thing about this passage is that it doesn't happen just once. The first time Elijah eats and drinks that what has been laid out before him, and then he collapses to the ground again. But the messenger doesn't give up. Elijah needs some more time, so he rests. And then for the second time, he is touched, woken, reminded to eat. He is told that there is a journey ahead. I wonder if in some wearying times on your journeys, if you have had a moment when someone reached out to you, reached out in a tangible, physical way, reached out and offered you something you might not even have understood at the time, but which fed you in some way. A friend of mine struggled with severe bouts of depression, and when he was in the depths of that shadowy space, somehow, he said when his wife would hold him on the couch, it would help. She didn't need to say anything, just hold him. That physical act fed an empty part within his spirit. Feeding and food throughout the scriptures becomes about so much more than calories or fibers or fat. At no point are the cakes that Elijah eats given the moral qualifiers we so love. These baked cakes are not mentioned as sinful or decadent. They are not guilty pleasures or good for him. This food is about feeding a gnawing, empty hunger that fills the bones and the gut. This food, the messenger's touch, the, instruction, the instructions that Elijah receives, all of these moments come together to feed Elijah. With this food, he is shown that God still loves and cares for him, even though he is hiding in the desert. With this food, he is shown that God still has provisions and purposes for him, even though he is a prophet cast out of his home. In this story, Elijah is not asked to jump up and get to work right away. He is told to take just one more bite of food and then one more step of faith. And then eventually down the road, it will lead to one more call from God. God is providing food for Elijah, baked cakes and refreshing water, but God is also providing a purpose, a direction. For indeed, friends, this journey of life and faith is long. There is no denying this. But God does provide for our weary souls. No matter what wilderness we find ourselves walking through, God does not leave us with our gnawing emptiness. And we are reminded of this by the words of Jesus himself. In Jesus, we are given food, but we are also given a sense of purpose. 
a direction in which to walk. Jesus is the one who says, I am the bread of life, but he also says later in John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christ knows we need food to travel the journey, but also we need a sense of direction and purpose. Sometimes when we are so weary, we need to be reminded to get up and eat, and also to go along this way. When we hear Jesus say, I am the bread of life, we must admit that we have a hunger we cannot satisfy on our own. And so let us hear this promise from the scriptures today. God will provide, perhaps not in ways that we are expecting, but God will provide. So as you look at your week, I wonder who might be reaching out to you, touching you with compassion, offering you cake and water, the nourishment that you need at your deepest depths. I wonder where food might become so much more than calories in and calories out, instead becoming an act of community, of celebration, of hospitality, perhaps even a profession of faith. When we realize how our Creator is gazing upon us with love and offering us provisions for our bodies, minds, and spirits, food becomes about so much more than simply filling our mouth. So today, as we go forth from this place, perhaps we can hear these words and look for God's provision and let food become about finding ourselves once again in the deep and abiding presence of our God. Let us pray. Holy One, you are our Lord, and we are your children. You provide for us in ways expected and unexpected, as you have shown through the scriptures from Moses and the Israelites, from Elijah, all the way through Christ and into our lives today. Show us how to take one more bite of nourishing food and take one more step of faith today. Amen.